0: Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. I drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam! This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready
1: to win your league. Where fantasy becomes real. Now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Outfield tiers, let's go. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today on Thursday, January 20th. I am Frank Sample, Jr., joined by Scott White, Jr. No Chris Towers today as he's out dominating the flag football gridiron. What's going on, Scotty? You ready to talk some outfielders? Yeah,
2: yeah, let's do it. Nice big position with some nice meaty tiers. It's going to be a mouthful for you, Frank. It's going to be an earful for the listeners out there. But by the end of it, everyone will be full. So that that can't be a bad thing.
1: It cannot be a bad thing. I agree. There's, it's a very interesting position. A lot of elite talent up top, but I'm not sure how deep it is in terms of, that elite level talent. Um, it's, again, it's an interesting position. We'll get into all of it. But yeah, how many times this offseason are we going to talk about Cody Bellinger and Christian Yelich? They are two very polarizing players and two that we will get into today. So we've got outfield tiers coming your way and going to try to get to a few emails. We're bringing it back fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. So if you have a question, you can send it there and we will get to it. All right, Scott, outfield word association. You know how this works. Go. Uh <laughs> big. Big?
2: Yeah. All right. It's a big position. It is a big position. You are there's correct. a lot going on. There's uh there's not just a large number of players, but you you'll find all types of players in the outfield. And so you know it's 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 never a position that I tend to make a priority early in drafts because it never really runs out of what you need. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a superstore as opposed to this mom-and-pop shop along the infields. Like, they're going to have it. Well, I don't know. These days they might not have it. But <laughs> <laughs> putting that aside, they're going to have it. And, uh, and so you can always, you know, you need some stolen bases. You need some power. You, you just need a, an upsidey type with a mid-to-late round pick. You can pretty much always find it in the outfield.
1: Yeah, I think that is definitely fair. And before we actually get into the tiers, I think maybe we just talk about the position in a headset points league versus a roto league. Typically, in the points format, we play with three outfielders. I think a lot of headset categories leagues use three outfielders as well. And in the traditional five-by-five roto, we start five outfielders, Scott. So when drafting in those different formats, are you cognizant of maybe not filling out your outfield too quickly in a points league versus... Maybe putting more emphasis on it in a roto style uh, lineup setting.
2: Yeah, I would say I almost intentionally avoid avoid outfield early in, in in only a three outfielder league, particularly if there's just one utility spot to fill. It, it, it's so frustrating if you if you fill those three outfield spots early, and. Then that seems like that's where all the all the value hitters are, you know, later on in the draft, and and you can't do anything about it. You just you could use up a bench spot on them, but you have greater needs because uh, obviously you didn't invest early in other areas. So that's just, I just find that extremely frustrating, and um, it's not uncommon in like a twelve team head to head points league for me to kind of just spend the first couple months of the season swapping out outfielders on the waiver wire before eventually landing on three that are pretty good. I want to say, was it in the podcast league last year, Brian Reynolds? I ended up with Brian Reynolds and like maybe Hunter Renfro who had a career season, obviously. And these weren't people that in in shallow leagues like that were on anybody's radar on draft day, but there's all, there are always those types that emerge at that position. So yeah, in three outfielder leagues, look, I'm not saying I'd pass up Juan Soto with the number one overall pick, but, you know, two of my first four picks are outfielders. That's not ideal. And, I, and I'm probably putting off drafting that third one for a long, long time.
1: All right. I am looking at your head to head points league from last season. You did have Brian Reynolds. You also had Eloy Jimenez, who I would imagine you either picked up or stashed. Yeah,
2: somebody dropped. Yeah.
1: Same thing with Luis somebody Robert, did. potentially. And right. somebody
2: dropped both of them when they got hurt. Those were long term injuries, obviously.
1: And Robbie Grossman. In your utility spot, who yep. went twenty twenty last year, and I, I was pretty surprised when I looked back to see that he actually uh, met that threshold twenty homers and twenty steals for one Robbie Grossman. And you answered the first question I was going to ask, Scott, because you talked about how in a three outfielder league you might uh, intentionally avoid the position, but also don't just like pass up on Juan Soto because he's amazing, right? And I think we could right. say the same things about like Bryce Harper and all those other elite outfielders as well.
2: Yeah, there's there's really no sound like heath cummings here remember the (laughs) heath cummings nips strategy no intentional position strategy great strategy oh yeah um yeah with those basically first couple rounds that position is just whatever like i'm not really drafting anybody because of their position i know we talked about jose ramirez and when we did the corner infield tiers. you know he gets elevated a little because of his position that but that's already baked into the ranking so i'm not even really thinking about position until you know, maybe round three, more realistically, probably round four or five. All
1: right, so let's jump into this, uh, uh, the elite outfield tier, and all of these players are going inside of the first two rounds, and it includes Fernando Tatis, who will have outfield and shortstop eligibility with an ADP of 1.3. All ADP comes via fantasy pros. Juan Soto at pick 2.7, Bryce Harper at 8.7, Mike Trout 12.3, Mookie Betts 13.7, Kyle Tucker 13.3, Ronald Acuna 11.7, Eleven point seven, and Luis Robert at pick twenty two. We know Tatis and Juan Soto are amazing. Scott, I think people might be a little surprised to see Bryce Harper this high, even though he won the National League MVP and and he was awesome last year. Uh, he's going ahead of you know names that for years he was going behind Trout, Bets, uh, Ronald Acuna because of injury, obviously. But what do you think? Is this warranted? Bryce Harper being you know a top ten pick in twenty twenty two?
2: Oh, well, you just you just read off my tears, right? So obviously, Correct. Obviously, I think it's warranted, but I'll tell you why I think it's warranted, and that's because remember how during the pandemic shortened 2020 season we were saying, "Wow, if you look at if you look at Bryce Harper's expected stats on Statcast, what what the batted ball data, the kind of stat line it says he should have put up, it was better than even his MVP winning season." in uh in 2015 right that was something we kept saying yep well he did it again last year and oh yeah he won a second mVP so two years in a row of him delivering delivering numbers that for a while there I wasn't sure he was ever going to get back to i I was you know he, he there were some there were some years there where the strikeouts were rising and obviously he was having trouble staying on the field and I, I wasn't sure we'd ever see him perform at an MVP level again. And now he's done it, um, you know, at least as far as the underlying numbers are concerned, he's looked even better two years in a row. And he's, you know, gotten some steals back. Uh, He's become a little bit of a base stolen base contributor again, when that was a little more inconsistent earlier in his career, 13 steals last year, he had eight and 58 games the year before. So that's, you know, like on, on pace for more than 20. So, yeah, I mean, he he just he's he's the second best on base threat in baseball at this point, probably behind Juan Soto. In addition to having easy thirty five homer power, the steals contributions, and just it just seems like all altogether a first round pick.
1: I'm with you 100. Regardless of format, too, we know in points leagues he's amazing because he walks a ton, and then in roto, I mean, he basically gives you everything over 300 batting average last year. And you mentioned the expected stats two years in a row where he has had at least a 297 expected batting average gives you power runs RBI. And now three of his last three full seasons, he's given you 13 plus deals. So I'm with you 100% uh, top 10 pick regardless of format is Bryce Harper. Scott, I, I feel like one of the more confusing things if you have a later first round pick this year, early second round pick is trying to sort through this group of Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Kyle Tucker, and Ronald Acuna. They are all going in the same range. Pick 12, 13, the ADP for all four of these guys right there. So you've got a pretty tough decision to make. Maybe you want to pair them with a pitcher, whatever it might be. But regardless, you still have to decide which one of those four outfielders you want. How do you sort through uh, that group?
2: Well, I think Acuna is definitely... last in that group. And I, I may be on the lower end of where I rank him now after starting on the higher end. The belief my belief being we're not going to see him until May. And that's highly concerning to me because if we're not going to see him take the field at all in spring training when we're drafting, I, I mean, who who's to say how close he is to returning really? I mean, all we have to go on is reports and any kind of setback you know could he, he could he could lose a month and yeah i don't want to invest a first round pick in that i'm i'm reluctant to even invest a second round pick in it, knowing when he's healthy acuña has number 1 overall type upside so I, I think it's pretty easy to say he's last if he does get in games this spring training tra- if he does get in games this spring that might change the calculation for me but as of now i think acuña's definitely last of this group Trout, Betts, and Tucker. Of course, Tucker's coming off the best season of the three. He's also the least proven of the three. Betts had the hip injury uh, that, that cost him some time and, and probably hindered his production as well as he was playing through it for a while. Started to feel better late in the season and took off again. Didn't have surgery, which kind of concerns me. I, we, were, we were thinking he would, but he's entering his age 29 season, so still in his prime. And then Trout, we talked about him with the calf issue. If if that wasn't on anybody's mind, the the fact that Trout missed the final three quarters of last season with that calf injury, uh, I'm sure he'd be a top five pick still because year after year, I mean, it's, it's not like the production has slipped for Trout stolen bases. Yes. He's not a great contributor of those anymore. And Obviously, the value of those has been inflated so much in, in roto leagues that I, I i feel like I feel like people obsess over them a little bit, a little bit and maybe um maybe excuse the value of certain players trout included but um i I put him number one because that doesn't seem like an injury that'll have a carryover effect and i just i personally don't see much reason to to draft mike trout as as long as you're willing to not get much stolen base not get many stolen bases with your first-round pick. So that's... I go Trout one, Betts two, Tucker three, and then Acuna a distant fourth.
1: All right, yeah. The last time we saw Trout in a full season was uh, 2019, 134 games. Well, we saw him last year, but he just played a part of the season. Uh, But in 2019, 134 games, 291, 45 homers, 11 steals, over 100 runs, over 100 RBI. So again, that was only in 134 games. We're not really that far removed from Mike Trout being... Still, one of the best contributors in fantasy baseball. The last name in this tier, Scott, is Luis Robert, and there is a lot of hype around him, and rightfully so. I'm very excited about him. I think many people are very excited about him, and he only played 68 games last year. We've got to see him stay healthy. That's a big key for Luis Robert. He has yet to do that. Um, uh, Last year was his first full season, so we've, you know, but he's had, he's dealt with some injuries in the minor leagues as well. But he was great last year. 338 batting average, 13 homers, lowered the strikeout rate tremendously, raised the line drive rate. StatCast loved this guy as well. Scott, the guy's just like oozing with tools to power, speed, in the middle of a great lineup. So there's a lot to like. He just has to stay on the field.
2: Yep. There is uh, the fact that he cut his strikeout round rate down to 20.6% last year. Very strong strikeout rate. And uh, that's compared to 32.2% as a rookie. So... Huge improvement there. It, it really r- removes what had been my biggest concern about him. is, is just, is he going to make, make enough contact to get to his tools? I don't worry about that so much anymore. Because over the much larger sample in 2021, and again, it wasn't a full season sample, but still much larger than 2020, He's certainly made all the contact he needs to. And I, I think he has top five potential. Factor in the stolen bases he's going to deliver, the home runs. Uh, and likely to hit for a good out. not going to hit 338 again, obviously, but uh, likely to contribute, make a positive contribution in batting averages. Expected batting average was 297. I mean, it's still really high end. So I I think all of the players here, Tatis, Soto, Harper, Trout, Betts, Tucker, Acuna, Robert, they all have the potential to be top five players off the board next year, uh, which is why they're all in the same tier, right? I, I, very similar projected outcome for each of them. Theoretically, they could finish in any order by at season's end. It's a big, it, you know. There's a lot of names here. Obviously, it looks like a nice big tier, but they're all so high end. They're going to be gone by the middle of round two, in all likelihood, and uh, not. It's not really going to give you a chance to to decide. Okay, is this position depleting faster than this position? You know, it's just going to be entirely driven by draft order. Probably for the elite at every tier, you're not really going to have to think about positions yet. I'm sorry, probably for the elite at every position, you're not going to have to think about about position yet because the tiers are just going to deplete. That first tier at every position is going to deplete too quickly for you to engage in that thought process.
1: Let's move into the near elite tier, and this spans from rounds uh, round three through seven, and includes Cedric Mullins, Starling Marte, Whit Merrifield, Aaron Judge, Yordan Alvarez, Teoscar Hernandez, George Springer, Byron Buxton, and Cattell Marte. With Whit Merrifield a tier lower in points league Scott we recently spoke about Cedric Mullins we did that podcast can the 2021 breakouts do it again I encourage everyone to go check it out if they haven't listened or watched it already uh, but Mullins while he is an awesome story and I am rooting for him I just it's hard for me to get behind the price guy I don't know if it's like this mental block thing it happens it happens every year for me in fantasy actually someone who was drafted so late the previous year and this really shouldn't affect us If you believe in the player, then you believe in the player. But he was drafted outside the top 350 last year. He was a free agent pickup for a lot of people. And now Cedric Mullins is being drafted inside the top three rounds. So it is a big price tag to pay. Fell off a little bit in the second half. Um, You know, the StatCast numbers say he probably, probably played a little bit over his head. So I like the player, Scott, but I do not like the price tag for Cedric Mullins.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's that's always difficult to navigate. And it seems like I am more inclined than most evaluators to give those, uh, those surprise breakthrough players the benefit of the doubt going into the next season. I almost never rank them at face value. And, you know, as concerned as you are about the price tag for Cedric Mullins going in the back half of round three, or I guess technically the front half of round three, some boy in round three. As as worried as you are about that price tag, you know that that's that's not giving him full credit for the player he was last year. He was a, he was the sixth best hitter in Roto last year, the only 30-30 guy. So, you know, everybody's discounting him a little. Uh it, it's just how 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 much how much stock do you put in the performance? How likely do you think he is to turn back into a pumpkin. I have a lot of faith in it because even though you mentioned he he kind of came back to earth a little in the second half, that was really just in batting average. He had 261 in the second half, which you know, you'll, you'll still take a 261 batting average from a 30 30 guy. 14 of those 30 home runs came in the second half, 14 of the stolen bases came in the second half. Very good pace for both of those still and the 260 batting average that he regressed to was basically what his expected batting average was showing all season so it was kind of it was kind of a very predictable decline and like i said not enough to really change his high end standing so obviously there We've talked about it the past couple of weeks, all the changes they're making to Camden Yards. is really just in left field, and I think every single one... Yeah, I got this ray char- chart pulled up right now. Every single one of his home runs was... Uh, I, I, one was to straightaway center. The rest were all to right center or right field. So the changes that are happening in Camden Yards shouldn't impact Mullins at all. And for that kind of power-speed combo, I think a third-round pick is... You know, I'd, I'd, I'd rather invest in him than Ozzy Albies. I know Ozzy Albies is, is probably a safer pick, but he might only give you two-thirds of Mullen's home runs. He might only give you half of Mullen's steals.
1: Mm. And you call yourself a Braves fan, Scott. How dare you? I, no. Oh, I'm, this <laughs> jersey I'm wearing right
2: now is actually an Ozzy Albies jersey. So I'm, oh, you know, just I'm take it off. I'm ill of the guy.
1: What size are you, with, Scott? With what? his
2: name printed on my back.
1: What, what size shirt do you wear, Scott? Large. Okay, so what we're going to need you to do is after we finish the podcast, you pack that shirt up, you ship it to me. It's going to be mine now, and then I'll wear it here on the podcast.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I don't see how that works. I
0: mean, Mr. I
1: don't know. Mr. You're Mr. talking
2: Texas Rangers cap. You ever speak ill of any Rangers while you're wearing oh, that cap, Frankie? Never, Scott.
1: I mean, you know, I can't quit my boy Nathaniel Lowe and Willie Calhoun with an ADP of 400 or something. Nah, it's, mm-hmm.
2: whatever. Yeah, how do you feel about, uh, I don't know, who's a Rangers? How do you feel about Adolis Garcia,
1: huh? Eh, don't love him. Marcus Semyon, he's on the bus list. We spoke about him on, on yesterday's podcast. Let's move into Teoscar Hernandez, Scott. It seems like we've all done a complete 180 on Teoscar. Last year, we were worried about the price tag. I think he was going inside the top 60 or 70 picks, something like that. But the improvements, they held. We, did, we didn't know whether to trust what he did in the shortened season. Not only did they hold, but he got better. The, the strikeout rate, he cut it even more, hits a lot of line drives. And obviously, in the middle... Of one of the best lineups in baseball, I think there's a chance that the batting average regresses a tad. You know, maybe the strikeouts, you know, um, rise back up a little bit. I don't know if he can maintain this 25% strikeout rate when we have so much data of him striking out more than that. But even if he does, if he hits 270 in the middle of that lineup with power and a little bit of speed, I think he's still going to be really good. So uh, I, I don't mind. I don't mind a late third round pick on Tasker Hernandez. How about you? Yeah, it
2: still feels wrong to me. And, of course, I was – Teoscar Hernandez was the bust pick I was pushing the hardest last year. I was as confident in him as anyone that uh, – I was as confident as anyone that he would come crashing back down after thriving over a very small sample in 2020. But it was mostly because of that strikeout rate and going from striking out to about a third of the time to about a quarter of the time. I mean that's that's huge. The fact that he is going to contribute a useful number of steals, and you know he could he's he's a fast runner, so I, I don't have a lot of uh, concerns about him giving you steals in that twelve to fifteen range again. I think that's you can you can you can uh, you can bank on that happening. It still feels wrong to see him listed there between Aaron Judge and George Springer you know two long time standouts in uh, in the early rounds of fantasy drafts, just mainstays there. But I think he deserves it. I agree. I can't find much to criticize him for, except you know obviously he doesn't have quite the track record of those other two.
1: Uh, You know, I'm looking into the splits for Tiaska. I wanted to see how he performed at each of the ballparks that the Blue Jays played in last year because obviously they played in uh, three different home parks for various reasons. And he only hit 241 with a 692 OPS in 36 games in Rogers Center. That's surprising to me. That tells me, uh, can can he be better? (laughs) Is that possible? I don't know. I, I. It's just surprising that he was that bad and somewhere that's usually a a pretty good park to hit in. So, something that that catches my eye a little bit with Teoscar Hernandez. You mentioned George Springer, Scott, and I really like the value on both Springer and Buxton. The ADP, uh, right around uh, 57 for Springer, 65 for Buxton. I think they have as much talent as anybody in this tier. You're just getting them at a discount because of the injury risk, which I get it. It makes sense. Like, we have to bake that into their price somehow. But if they can stay healthy, I mean, there is definitely a chance that they could smash the ADP.
2: Yeah, Buxton especially. I mean, Buxton showed first-round-type potential in between his usual injuries last year. I mean, that, that that he still hasn't cracked that nut staying on the field for even 120 games, right? I think he's had one season where he's played that many games. That's one season where he's played... Gosh, one season where he's played even 100 games. Good
1: grief. But he played 140 that year, Scott. Come on, give the (laughs) guy some some credit.
2: (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, Yeah, so, I mean, obviously that is a big hurdle for him. But never in those other years. and, And, you know, it goes back to age 21. He's now entering his age 28 season. But he's been around a while and never has prior to last year had he delivered first round caliber production of 1005 ops batted 306 and just the quality of contact backs up the power production the 19 home runs in those 61 games he's always been somebody who could contribute stolen bases so just a you know, very similar upside outcome to like a Luis Robert I think of course is a tier above this. But that that extensive injury history obviously obviously bumps down Buxton to where he is here in the near elite tier instead of the elite.
1: All right, let's move on to the next best things tier and this ranges from rounds 5 through 10 and includes Eloy Jimenez, Nick Castellanos, JD Martinez, Jesse Winker, Brian Reynolds, Tyler O'Neill, Kyle Schwarber, John Carlos Stanton, Mitch Hanniger, Randy Rosarena, Chris Bryant, Cody Bellinger, and Christian Yelich. Quite a few names in this tier. And you'll learn <laughs> throughout the other tiers that there's a lot of names in all these tiers. Overall, there's just a lot of outfielders to talk about. And Scott, I think we could make the argument, or at least maybe I can, uh, that Eloy Jimenez and Nick Castellanos should be in the tier above. I know Eloy is coming off an injury-plague season. Played Returned from a torn pec, clearly was not himself, uh, even when he returned after that. And Nick Cassianos is a free agent. He's been linked to the Phillies, the, My, the Miami Marlins. We'll, we'll see where he winds up. But yeah, Cassianos was great last year. And I feel like Eloy, before the injury, he was trending in the right direction. He was good as a rookie. He had over 30 home runs. He was even better in the shortened season. It seemed like he was ready for the breakout, and then he got hurt.
2: So I've definitely gone more to Chris's side in the Eloy Jimenez debate, Ugh, I was kind of straddling the fence my last heart. year when you were very pro Eloy Jimenez. Chris was but a little bit more of a pessimist. Not that, not that I, I think Chris did technically have Eloy Jimenez as a, in his bus column, but not so much that he was making a case for him to be a bus, just that he would be kind of an, just an average power hitter, you know, kind of what Nolan Arenado has become with the Cardinals. And I think, the data we got on Aloy Jimenez last year, and, and really the the data we've seen throughout his career at this point, points to him being more of that he's young enough that he could take another step forward. But I, I I'm not interested in ranking him that way. So you know I was kind of split when I was making out these tiers. Does Aloy Jimenez belong in the near elite with the George Springer's, does it, or does he belong in this tier here with JD Martinez and Brian Reynolds? And ultimately, I decided the latter. Nick Castellanos yes if if we were assessing him on last year's numbers if we were assessing him as if he's still going to be with the Reds then he would be a tier higher for sure he hit 309 with a 34 home runs and 939 ops i mean he was a legitimate stud last year but he's a free agent and the home away splits 359 with an 1109 OPS at home last year versus 260 with a 772 OPS on the road. And of course, we've seen over the course of his career, I mean, the whole case for him being a breakout last year was that he was playing in a much smaller park than he was used to in Detroit. So it, it really just depends where he signs. I think uh, I think the most likely scenarios, I'm going to keep him here in the next best things expecting him to regress a little more to, to his Detroit numbers, where he's more of a 25-homer guy than a 35-homer guy. Uh, but if he does wind up in an, in another hitter's paradise, then I, I, could, I could move him back up a tier for sure.
1: Yeah, I could see the Phillies maybe pushing him into that previous tier as well. It's a good park to hit in. I, I think a very solid lineup. Obviously, if Castellanos is a part of it, that enhances um, just how good they can be. So yeah, the Phillies would make a lot of sense. Miami, er, no, no, please no. Uh, let Michael Conforto or someone else sign with the Miami Marlins. Tyler O'Neill is part of this tier, Scott, and he is a freak athlete. When you look at the StatCast numbers, he is in the top five percentile in terms of sprint speed, in terms of max exit velocity, so power and speed, there's no doubt about it when it comes to Tyler O'Neill. but like Cedric Mullins, I just don't really like the price on Tyler O'Neill. He's going to pick ADP 54 right now, and... He's dealt with some injuries, and obviously the strikeout rate is massive, Scott. I mean, we're talking over 30%. So he impacts the ball very hard. Maybe he could just continue to overcome that strikeout rate. But uh, all of those things that I'm considering injuries and and that strikeout rate, uh, I am not going to be using a fifth-round pick on Tyler O'Neal.
2: Well, you can understand why people are. I mean, if you just just project his numbers out last year over... Let's see, he played 138 games. You just project them over 150... You know, he's he's closing in on a 40-20 season with yeah, the no, combating I, average.
1: I get why people want to draft him. Yeah. Based on what he did last year and, you know, he's had some prospect status, he finally put it together.
2: And, and he saved his best for last, hit over 300 each of the last two months, had 13 home runs in September with five steals. Uh, definitely left a, a good taste in everybody's mouth. And because he impacts the ball so hard, you know, I, I really want to believe it's legit. But yeah, that price tag is really high, and pretty much already presumes it's legit, right? Doesn't doesn't bake in much downside at all. And throughout my career as a fantasy analyst, I've had a lot of success just betting against the guy who struck out a ton the year before. Uh, doesn't always work out. Obviously, it didn't work out last year with my Tejasca Hernandez pick, although that's because he stopped striking out so much, right? He stopped doing the thing that made him so concerning. Uh, So, you know, there have certainly more in recent years, it really began with like Aaron Judge. These 30% strikeout guys have not, you you know, they've, they've been able to find more consistent success at the major league level. Not universally, but there have been, if they impact the ball hard enough, that is what allows them to overcome that strikeout rate. And Tyler O'Neill would seem to fit into that category, but it's it's only one year of seeing him do that, and that obviously raises some skepticism. So I tier him here with, you know, Nick Castellanos, Luis Jimenez, Brian Reynolds, you know, some pretty high end outfielders, but. Realistically, he's probably not going to be someone I draft from this tier because he'll be among the earlier players drafted from this tier. That's generally not how I approach the tiers.
1: All right, Scott, a popular question that we we will receive all offseason is what to do with Cody Bellinger and Christian Yelich. Both guys basically imploded last season. Dealt with injuries. Obviously, Bellinger, I think it was like a calf injury early on, but he was also coming back from the shoulder surgery. And now Christian Yelich, for a couple of years now, has been dealing with this this back injury, a lingering back issue for him. And a couple of years ago, he fractured his kneecap. It, he hasn't blamed anything on that, but it wouldn't surprise me if maybe that's part of the issue as well. I mean, sounds pretty bad. So, uh, where are you at, Scotty? Cody Bellinger versus Christian Yelich. I... Prefer Bellinger because
2: I see a I see a clearer path to him regaining what he lost. I mean, he's four years younger, first of all. And between the shoulder surgery and some ill-advised mechanical changes, you could just you could understand how he just completely messed himself up. When Yelich, it's harder to figure out what's going on with him or if he'll or if he'll even have time to 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 get back on track. I kind of want to just put these guys in their own tier, right? Because they're so <laughs> they're so volatile, they're so boomer bust. They could theoretically compete for the MVP this year. I mean, they they both had uh, multiple years where they've put together that kind of stat line, but it's been a couple of years since we've seen them do anything like that. So I, I stuck them on the end here. You know, I I, I think. I think that's me being intellectually honest. I think if it came down to it and you know, particularly if you're looking at the back end of this tier with Giancarlo Stanton, Mitch Haniger, uh, Chris Bryant, although he's likely to be drafted as a third baseman, if, if you got that whole group there, then I'd be willing to wait another round and just you know, if I was looking at Outfield, I'd be willing to wait another round and whoever came back to me came back to me, even if it was Bellinger and Yelich, I'd be okay with it. But obviously, I have more comfort in a Chris Bryant or even a Mitch Haniger than I do in Bellinger or Yelich. It's just also the trade-off of how comfortable are you are versus what is the upside. The upside for Bryant is pretty middling at this point. For Bellinger and Yelich, I still think there's more.
1: Yeah, I feel like this is what fantasy is all about, right, Scott? I mean, Bellinger and Yelich going around pick 100. Isn't that where you want to take that shot? You want to take that upside swing? You know, we're not in the early rounds where you're still building your base and maybe you want to play things a little bit safer. We're at the po- point in the draft where you want to take that shot. And, and it would not I don't think it would really su- surprise anyone if Bellinger or Yelich, or both of them bounce back to... Give us first-round value, second-round value, something like that. So I I think this is exactly the point in the draft where you want to take that shot. And I agree with you. I am more willing to take that shot with Cody Bellinger. I am on record, Scott. I want to be the Cody Bellinger guy this year. So last year, he led my bust article completely off of him with the shoulder surgery. I think another offseason, further removed from that surgery. Scott Boris, I know he's an agent for Bellinger. This is what he's supposed to do. But he's already talked about how he thinks Bellinger's going to be ready to go for spring, 100% healthy, and that he's going to bounce back. So yeah, I, I, take, I put some weight on that, and uh, I, I'm feeling really good about the price tag with Bellinger. This is someone, I think, perfectly where you want to take an upside shot in your draft. So yes, let's do it. You're right. Cody Bellinger over Christian Yelich. I'll let you keep your shirt. That's, that's your prize. The email of the day, Scott, before we, uh, before we hit the break. Since you are, uh, this one's from Matthew. Since you are covering tiers, can you please discuss how you use tiers when drafting at the end of a snake draft? Are they even useful considering you can't count on a player being available two rounds later? So I I should have asked you this when we started talking about the tiers, Scott. Are the players within your tier, are they in the order of the way that they are ranked in your rankings? In the
2: order that I rank them, yeah.
1: Oh, all right. So yeah, I think when you, when you get to the end of a draft, you probably just take whoever's ranked highest in the tier, right?
2: Well, no, I think I think what he's asking is, you know, the idea behind using tiers is you you target the position that's closest to depletion of the tier, the, the currently active tier, right? Fair. So that you're you're getting maximum value with every pick. But if you're having to wait twenty plus picks in between your picks, how much can you really anticipate who's going to be taken next? Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll say that's why i hate picking on the ends it it really <laughs> makes it hard to apply the tiers approach because it's 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 a lot of forecasting that you don't have to do if you're picking right in the middle that's my preferred spot smack dab in the middle of the uh, the round so that you're you, you know you're never having to wait that long in between picks so i kn- i know most people prefer to pick on the ends but because this is the approach i tend to use in drafts it it uh, it it's not ideal. It's not ideal. So I, I don't have a great answer for you. <laughs> I just do the best I can. And, you know, maybe if, if you're talking about an infield position where, you know, outfield's different. Outfield's a little different, obviously, because people draft multiple outfielders. But if you're talking about an infield position where everybody drafts more or less just one of at each of those spots, you know maybe instead of thinking two is enough to wait at the position i'll i'll say three or four if there's three or four still left in the active tier i'll wait but it kind of just depends you know i i guess i guess the real answer is i just don't adhere to the tiers as strictly as i would if i was picking in the middle and um And it's burned me a few times. It's burned me a few times both directions, not adhering to them as closely as I normally would or adhering to them too closely and missing out on this huge run and having to settle for, you know, D.D. Gregorius at shortstop or something. So (laughs) if you get a chance to pick your draft spot, try not to pick near an end if if this is the approach you want to use.
1: Oh, I think I misunderstood the question. I think I was thinking about it like just Towards the end of your draft, like the later rounds of your draft, but they're asking no. about like if your draft positioning. Okay. Right. Yeah. So that makes sense. All right. Cause, all right. That, yeah. I was about to say something completely different about drafting later on. You even listened to on. my
2: answer, Frank. Yes, I was. It I was. I was. Like
1: I was thinking about how I was going to respond to it, but. Listen to Scott. Don't listen to me. Uh, Before we hit the break, our friends at Fantasy Football Today are up for the best social media award. It'll take you less than 10 seconds. I've already voted for them. It took me like five seconds. So uh, vote for our friends. Fantasy Football Today. Hit the link that is in the podcast or YouTube description. And if FFT wins, we will give away some Fantasy Baseball Today hoodies for free. Vote now and win an FBT hoodie. And the link is in the podcast and the YouTube description. Uh, So again, please help out our good friends there. Adam, Dave, Jamie, Heath, Chris, all the the great guys over at Fantasy Football Today. Uh, Just a heads up that our podcast schedule next week, you will have a podcast Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, and Thursday morning. And one final reminder that you can watch all of our podcasts on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Today. So if you like to take things in more visually rather than listening, uh, then you can do that uh, at our YouTube channel. Just subscribe and tap the notification bell so you get notified every time we drop a video or we go live on the channel. When we return, we are going to talk about the fallback options here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Did you know that while over
0: 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands.
1: All right, let's jump back into the outfield tier, Scotty, and the fallback options. They range from... Picks 110 to 169. That is rounds 10 through 15. And it includes Austin Meadows, Tommy Edmond, Chris Taylor, Robbie Grossman, Hunter Renfro, Alex Verdugo, Michael Brantley, Lourdes Gurriel, Ryan Mountcastle, Joey Gallo, and Jared Kelnick. Uh, Edmund, Gurriel, Mountcastle, and Gallo are a tier, tier lower in points. Brantley and Verdugo are a tier lower. Lower and Roto. I understand if yeah, you're listening to you this. Got all it, that? Yeah, it might be <laughs> confusing to to listen along. So uh, I would say pull up the article so you can follow along with the tiers. And um, let's just talk about a few of these players, Scott. How much do you trust? the? Let's go with the breakout seasons of Robbie Grossman and Hunter Renfro. Grossman, some power, some speed. Uh, Renfro broke out in the power department over 30 home runs. He did that with Boston last year. Has now been relocated to the Milwaukee Brewers. Which is still a pretty good ballpark to hit in, so how much do you trust these breakout seasons?
2: What's the name of the Brewers Park now? I should know this by now. Oh it's called it Miller Park for so long.
1: American Family Field, I believe it is
2: yeah, okay, it's too close to Great American Ballpark, but that's American <laughs> Family Field. yes, that is what it's called. Very wholesome that name I mean, it's one of the best hitters parks it's made it's it's been kind of a kingmaker. In fantasy, in recent years, and I, I don't know how much more into a King Renfro needs to be made, but I think uh, I think there's a chance he takes even another small step forward this year. Uh, you know, he hit the majority of his home runs last year on the road, so it's not like he was just you know relying on the 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 Green Monster out there in uh, at Fenway Park. So I, I I do trust his breakout pretty well. He lowered his strikeout rate himself to around twenty two percent, much better strikeout rate than I ever thought we'd see from somebody like him, who's you know pretty much just a power bat and nothing else. Um, but could he be like a poor man's Mitch Haniger? I think he could. I think he could. I don't think he has an enormously high ceiling. I don't. I couldn't see him ranking among the near elite next year. But that's kind of this whole tier. It's either guys with, well, first of all, none of the guys have really early round upside, I don't feel like. And uh, a lot of the guys have serious question marks. Uh, Not at all confident that any of these guys are somebody you're going to draft and hold on to for the full season. But among them, Renfro is probably one of the ones I'm more confident in. Grossman, you know, he's... He's already in his mid thirties and just got a chance to be a full time player and make good on it, but with low batting average, still you're getting twenty twenty production. You know, at least that's what you got from last year, and, and the possibility of that happening again, happening again at his price tag is is very alluring. He's always had good on base skills, even when he was a part time player with other teams, so that should keep him in the lineup. And uh, you know, even if, if he's not providing as much power as he did last year. So I, I think there's a chance he comes close to last year's numbers. And uh I, I think the where he, where he's getting getting drafted on average is a perfectly reasonable price weighing weighing all the pros and cons there.
1: Yeah, even if he takes a little step back, the seamer projections have Robbie Grossman for seventeen homers, fifteen steals, same batting average, two thirty-nine. That's that's still valuable as a Third, probably better as like a fourth outfielder if you're playing in a Roto League. He does see an uptick in value if your categories Roto League plays with OBP. Uh, he had a 14.6% walk rate. So nice, nice little uh, value piece there from uh, Robbie Grossman. Another name in here, Scott, that I find interesting and I actually wrote up in my breakouts 1.0 is Jared Kelnick. So just really kind of trusting the prospect pedigree here. We know the story from last year. He got called up. He was absolutely awful. He got sent back down, came back up for the second half of the season, uh, struggled for most of it, and then turned it on in September. The question is, how much stock do we actually want to put in that? Because it was only 28 games, but he hit 238, seven homers, three steals. Strikeout rate was down to 25% during that time, and he had an 849 OPS. So, I mean that sounds a lot like the player we were hoping to get from Kelnick. You know, h- hoping for a better batting average, but some power, speed, strong OPS. How much do you? How much weight do you put on that strong September for Jared Kelnick?
2: Look, do I think he's just going to be who he was in September? That's just the expected baseline for him going forward. No, I don't. I don't think it's that straightforward. But it does. It it does go a long way to. Um, it, keeping keeping my expectations relatively high you know it's it's salvaged his spot in my rankings basically he, he might be buried to the same degree uh joe adele is i mean i have joe adele a tier lower than jared kelnick even you know there were similarly rated prospects but jared kelnick has shown well he hasn't he hasn't failed quite as miserably as joe adele uh has when you take into account the 2020 numbers as well and also he's um he's he had that big September where he looked like he might be getting to figure it out. So yeah, I mean I take back what I said a minute ago, where nobody <laughs> in this tier has early round upside. I think Jared Kelnick does. But how likely is he to make good on it this upcoming year after very uneven performance as a rookie? I don't think it particularly good, but you do have to you do have to factor it into your assessment of him that okay, there is this There is this 90th percentile outcome, or wherever or whatever, where he puts up Kyle Tucker like numbers, you know? Yeah. And and so that might make him a pretty attractive target here.
1: Yeah, I agree. Exactly what I said about Bellinger and Yelich. Obviously, those guys are much, much more proven than Jared Kelnick, but this is the point in the draft where you want to take a shot on that upside. And admittedly, I wish the ADP was a little bit lower for Jared Kelnick. It's 122.7, but. You're talking about the 10-11 turn in a 12-team league. Yeah, I mean, if you're getting him as your third outfielder, obviously, I hope you have some pretty safe options before him, but it seems like a pretty good point in the draft to take a shot on some upside uh, with Jared Kelnick. Let's move on to the last resorts tier, and this is a massive range of 20 players, spanning picks 139 in ADP to 280. Six. You mentioned Joe Adele uh, while talking about Jared Kelly, Scott. I wanted to ask you about Adele and Alex Kirilov, who kind of look like post hype sleepers, right? Like we don't know what we're going to get from either player. Kirilov is coming back from wrist surgery, and Joe Adele to this point has been mostly underwhelming. Though I like that the strikeout rate was down when he got called back up last year. Uh, what do you think about Kirilov and Adele potentially as post hype sleepers in this range?
2: Yep. I think both of them fit the bill. I I don't think either of them has, has gotten nearly enough opportunities in the majors yet for us to have a verdict on who they're going to be. They're both still very young, obviously. And, you know, for a while last year, I remember Alex Kirloff was playing through that wrist injury and prior to it. And it was obvious. It was a very small sample. The whole season was a very small sample, but particularly if you're dividing it up pre-injury, post-injury, uh his his batted ball numbers were looking elite. He got off to a slow start statistically, but the underlying numbers suggested he had you know the the way he was impacting ball was the ball was like that of a stud. So I wish we could have seen the full season play out. I wish he hadn't hurt the wrist again, but now that it's been operated on, you know hopefully it's behind him and he can hit the ground running and I am just as high on him this year, I think, as I was last year, provided we don't hear of any setback or anything with the wrist. Adele, you know, he wasn't great after returning from the minors last year, but in the 35 games he played, he struck out 22.9% of the time, which is actually a big improvement even for what he did at AAA, striking out 29.2% of the time prior to his call-up. Yeah, no, I, I I don't know that he's only going to be a twenty percent strikeout guy. I kind of doubt that. But like, I I was just comforted to see he wasn't eaten alive by major league pitching again. Remember, in twenty twenty, after he got called up, clearly rushed, he struck out over forty percent of the time. It was just a, a total disaster. So I I'm hopeful that there was some actual progress made for Adele. And and if there was, then the tools are pretty tantalizing. He's going to provide that speed element that Kirilov won't.
1: Akil Badu, last one I wanted to mention, pretty intrigued by his skill set, some power, some speed, and he was striking out a ton early last year, made some adjustments really strong in terms of the walk rate, and he lowered that strikeout rate. And I don't know if you saw this video that's been, um, picture that's been circulating, Scott, of Akil Badu and his off-season workouts. <laughs> the guy is jacked up. He He's jacked, Scott. So just search, yeah. search Akil Badu, click on the photos on Twitter, and it'll be one of the first ones you see. Not that you want to draft him just based on that, but uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty intrigued by the skill set.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued by it too, and I was tempted. I haven't actually written the column yet, but I have the players picked out for for breakouts, 1.0, and I was tempted to include him in it, but he's he was so bad against left-handers. Yep. Granted, he was a rookie, but like the they weren't giving him full time at bats against left-handers already. And I don't think he earned more time against left-handed pitchers. And the whole performance was just so uneven strikeouts were kind of high. The walks were, you know, especially compared to what he was doing in the minors. I I expected more from the walks for him. I'm not confident (laughs) unless his workouts have, um, are going to impact his power production. Maybe they could, but you know, that doesn't, that's not always how it plays out. Muscles don't always equate to more home runs. Um, I'm not sure he has a particularly high power ceiling. Not saying he couldn't hit 20 home runs potentially, but I don't think it's going to be an easy 20 home runs for him. So, you know, between the playing time concerns and the strikeout concerns and the power concerns, how high is the ceiling really? I think he belongs in this tier. I don't think he belongs in the same tier as Robbie Grossman. I think Robbie Grossman is a better bet for a 2020 season than Akil Badu.
1: All right. Uh, yeah, I I don't love the splits either. Struggle big time against lefties. So we'll see if he can make adjustments there. Uh, but, yeah, intriguing is one Akil Badu. Let's move on to the deep leaguers. There are 19 names in this tier and two that stood out to me, Scotty are two that are in your Sleepers 1.0 article. That is Connor Joe, who we've talked about quite a bit this offseason, and Rafael Ortega, who got an opportunity to play with the Chicago Cubs, much like his teammate Frank Schwindel. He's kind of just been lurking around the majors, the minors, has this journeyman feel, and was pretty good. Some power, some speed, decent OBP. Um, Tell us more about Connor Joe and Rafael Ortega. So Connor Joe
2: is in my sleepers 1.0 Rafael Ortega. Yeah, I guess you mentioned that, right? Um Yeah, yeah, so they're they're even a tier lower here, but that's partly because you don't have to pay more to get them than this. Like they're barely being drafted in 12 team leagues. They might not even be drafted. And like Connor Joe is the one I'm most excited about because he had taken over as the Rockies leadoff hitter last August and was delivering big big numbers. His point per game average, I think, was like mechanics in that role. And uh, you know, obviously all the advantages of course field. Great OBP skills, would you love to see from a lead leadoff hitter, particularly in an environment where runs are easy to come by, like they are at Coors Field. I just, I just, I think he could be a true must-start player in fantasy, but we need some assurances about the playing time there. Uh, just because the Rockies were willing to give it to him last August doesn't mean mm. they will to begin the season. And I, I'm not sure they're going to say much about it, honestly, prior to the season. So I, I don't know how much his draft stock is going to improve, but he's definitely somebody I like to target in the late rounds. Rafael Ortega, I think, has some pretty clear platoon concerns, like I said, for Akil Badu. Um, but he's a better contact hitter than Badu. I think the power production is similar. I think the speed production maybe give a slight edge to Badu there, but it, you know, I, I think Ortega has an outside shot at being a 2020 guy as well, and at least against right-handers, he should be the leadoff man for the Cubs.
1: Let's wrap up with a few email questions here, Scotty. This one's from Alexander Chaco. As injuries mount year by year, it seems to me multi-position eligibility is the next new desirable factor. Given this, I need help selecting two keepers in my 15-team 5x5 Roto League. 22 slots with eight pitchers, but only one IL slot. Uh, Three keepers moving up three rounds per year. Uh, But one, Tucker, uh, round 17 is a no-brainer, so he's keeping uh, Kyle Tucker. For my two other spots, I am torn between the following single-position players versus multi-position guys. Dylan Carlson. These are the outfield-only players. Dylan Carlson in round 12, Kelmick in round 14, Jesse Winker around round uh, 16, Colton Wong round 18, and then these are the multi-position players. Ryan Mountcastle in round 9, Alex Karloff in round 20, Brendan Rodgers in round 22. We need two of those, Scotty
2: only two okay I, th- I would keep
1: I think I know who you're gonna say
2: Yeah moving up three rounds per year okay but it's only three keepers so i I don't know that you need to focus that much on the long term at all here uh so pr- I'm probably saying no to Kelnick as a response as a result of that and going with Jesse Winker in round 16 and Brendan Rodgers in round 22.
1: And that's exactly what I would have predicted. This next one's from Tyler Simmons. Loving all of the off-season content. I was eliminated in football very early, so I've been with you guys since about mid-October. Awesome. Yes. We, we appreciate it, Tyler. Yes. Anyway, you can listen to us either way. I mean, yeah. It's, it's, well in football. You, know, you can try and balance both. I mean, I do it. Scott kind of does it. Anyway, 12-team keeper league. Keep five for three years max. Head-to-head points. Snake draft. Who do you like better as a final keeper? Justin Verlander in the 26th round, Alec Manoa in the 26th round, or Byron Buxton in the 11th? I'm already keeping Devers, Corey Seager, Logan Webb, and Fastball Freddy. Although, Fastball no more. Throws that slider quite a bit.
2: Ugh. I mean, they're all good keepers. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say whether it's Roto or points, does he? Oh, had yeah. to head points. Oh, yeah. okay. Had to head points.
1: I think we have to or, take one of the pitchers. <laughs> do you do you take the well, old... I was Lena Buxton and, until he said head to head points. <laughs> do you take the old Wiley veteran, Scott, or do you go with the young buck, Alec Manoa?
2: Keep, keep five for three years max. Does this price stay locked in? For
1: those three years? Doesn't mention it. Mm. For three years max, I think I got to go with Manoa, Sky. With the three years, I, I don't know if Verlander's going to pitch for three years. I don't know if he's going to make it through one year, even though I do like Verlander, but. Yeah. Give me Manoa around 26.
2: I, I just, I'm really confident in the impact Verlander's going to make this year. I think I take Verlander.
1: All right. Scotty on Verlander. I am on Alec Manoa. This last one's from Hugh. I am in a head-to-head points league. We get to keep five guys. Also traded for the first overall pick, which will be Juan Soto. Uh, I had him for three years and had to put him back in the pool, so I gave up Corbin Burns for the first overall pick to get Juan Soto. Thoughts on that move? All right. So that's first, Scott. Giving up Corbin Burns to get Juan Soto first overall. Eh, Makes sense, right? I
2: would...
1: Yeah, that
2: makes sense. Yep.
1: Yeah. Uh, all right, so the keepers for Hugh are Bryce Harper, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Freeman. Then I need to keep two of the following. Yerdon Alvarez, Alex Bregman, Francisco Lindor. Alvarez could round out my outfield. Bregman worries me, but third base is so shallow. Lindor is in a deep position, so I am stuck. Uh, two of those names, Scotty.
2: Alvarez and Bregman. <laughs> but you know I'm the low guy on Lindor. <laughs> and, uh you don't already have a shortstop, I guess, but you mentioned in here it's a deep position. I think you'll be okay finding a, another shortstop.
1: Yeah. As much as I like Lindor, I I think it comes down to if other people in your league are keeping third baseman, which makes it even harder to get a usable third baseman in your draft, then I think I'm all right going with Bregman, especially, I mean, he's so good in head-to-head points leagues as well. So definitely Yordan Alvarez. I think it's close between Bregman and Lindor. Maybe look at some other rosters. Uh, in a vacuum, I would still take Lindor, though. But it is close. We're gonna wrap there for Scott. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We will be back again on Tuesday morning. Bye bye.